Welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. This is the podcast where we discuss career counselling, career guidance, mental health awareness and mental health training in the workplace. With your hosts, Patrick, Sally, Tina and Amy. Welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. Thanks to everyone who's sent messages and given feedback on the episodes that we've put up recently. We really appreciate your support. So today's guest is our very good friend, Dr. Claire Kelly from Mental Health First Aid. And today in our final of three episodes, we're going to be focusing on mental health first aiders in the workplace. And no doubt Claire and I will go down all sorts of rabbit holes talking about many other things too. So welcome back, Claire, to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. How are you today? I'm well. How are you doing? Good. It's good to see you again. I feel like you're a feature now of our podcast series. Oh. Love to hear that. And I'm really glad to be here too on the second day of Mental Health Month, the week before our big Mental Health Week starts up. So this is a very auspicious moment. Absolutely, absolutely. We've got plans for Mental Health Week as well. We're getting ourselves ready for that. Okay, so Claire, today we're going to focus on implementing mental health first aid in workplaces. Um, Just to get us started, can you maybe just give an overview of the benefits to workplaces um, in terms of having mental health first aiders? Yeah, so there are, I think benefits come in a lot of different sorts of forms. And unfortunately, at the moment, we don't have as much data as I would love to be able to give you. But what I can talk to you about is what we're hearing from organisations, especially some of the larger ones that have implemented things sort of on a fairly broad basis, often, you know, with at least, you know, two, three years under their belt to give you a bit of a sense mm. of some of those benefits. But could I actually start off, maybe this would help if, with giving a little bit of a, a scope of what mental health is costing in the workplace oh, first? Go for it. Okay, fantastic. So um, there are a few different estimates of what mental health actually costs us in the workforce. And the win, and they are usually, look, honestly, it's somewhere between 6 and $12 billion in Australia, depending on how you do the calculations. And that is based on absenteeism, so where people aren't coming to work, presenteeism, where people are coming to work but they're not working to their, their full capacity, and uh, compensation as well. So we've got lost productivity and, and, um, and actual direct insurance costs, although those direct insurance costs are much, much lower than the cost of um, to productivity. And probably a lot of the time people are still, you know, very reticent to actually seek work cover claims um, when there's been psychological injury in the workplace. It's still very, uh, particularly amongst some of those professions where it's actually more likely to occur, uh, frontline services of, of different sorts. Um, so... So that's the money cost, and I wish that that didn't matter, but it does because that's the sort of thing that can sometimes get funding from um, the government. So, so that's um, and that's just part of it. And the other side is, of course, people are unhappy, and we don't want that. Mm. And workplaces, people may spend more time face to face with workmates than they do with the people they live with, um, whether that's parents, children, spouse, friends, and that means that workplaces are in a really great position to actually do something about it. And then um, several years ago, Beyond Blue, and as part of a broader sort of workplace uh, strategy working group, commissioned PricewaterhouseCoopers to do some research on the cost and of, of mental health problems in the workplace, as well as the benefits of actually investing in mental health in the workplace. And they found that for every dollar invested into a high-quality evidence-based mental health program within the workforce, within the workplace, you get about a $2.30 return on that investment, which honestly, when you put it all together, it means we can't really afford not mm-hmm. to be doing There's nothing. It's a um, very, very false economy to say, no, we don't want to spend money here. Anyway, in terms of the benefits that people get, certainly we get reports of people being um, much more comfortable about being open about their mental health problems in the workplace. Depends very much on the sort of workplaces, but white-collar workplaces in general, we see, you know, some really great benefits there. I think it remains very, very hard for people in frontline services 
to actually talk about the way that they've been feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in white collar workplaces, certainly we see overall improvements in culture. Um, we see less compensation claims. We see less presenteeism and less absenteeism. And people are actually more likely to say, hey, I think I need a little bit of a break in order to get some things under control and get some strategies in place. So I think one of the things we always sort of try and get people thinking about is that we always have first aiders in the workplace. We just we just do. And, in fact, most of the time, particularly in certain sorts of workplaces, we'll have far more first aiders than we actually have to. So, mm. for example, you know, in a uh, school or university setting or in any setting where there's a lot of very physical work going on, construction, things like that. And also just because people tend to like to grab a first aid certificate. You know, it's a good thing to know. It's a good thing to know when you're at home with your family who you love. But I don't know about you, Tina. I reckon if I tripped over at work and broke my ankle, I wouldn't particularly care who actually, you know, dealt with that and called me an ambulance. But I think that we know that people are less likely to talk about their mental health with someone who they don't necessarily get along with, they may not trust, there might be a power relationship there that makes things difficult. So you actually sort of need a few more mental health first aid instructors really than than the absolute basics. You, you want to have a few different people at different levels of, of work um, in different parts of the team. You want to make sure that they are people who others are actually likely to approach. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, so, yeah. and, the, and the idea is really just to, to normalise those conversations, to get people to the help that they need more quickly so that we don't have as much time out. And I think, you know, that might have sounded just a little bit bloodless, okay? I'm not all about the workplace. The fact is that when somebody is in, when somebody has employment in a supportive environment where they feel that they're actually contributing, that is very, very good for mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are, we get asked all the time, um, how many mental health first aiders should we have in our organisation? And we say to them, at least the same amount as physical first yeah. aiders or more. At least, but it should be more. I, yeah. agree. I um, agree. We recently went into Expedia Group in Brisbane and they now have one more mental health first aider to their physical first aiders. And we felt like that, woohoo! they really pioneers they've really grasped it and run with it so Good on they, them. yeah they've gone above so they're now one more than physical first aiders and I guess if you were to go back into some of these businesses I know that conversations that we've had with businesses that we've worked with around do you know how often your physical first aiders are using their physical first aid skills and then a comparison um, with those mental health first aiders and how often they're using their skills. And it, it, I mean, there's just no comparison. The mental health first aid skills are used so frequently, um, you know, almost daily for some people. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think it, it's important to realise that that doesn't mean that people are spending all day, every day having these conversations, but that the work of a mental health first aider is sometimes just to check in. Yeah. You know, and that can just be a brief, supportive conversation, just to hey, how are things going? You know, and sometimes people just need to say, I had no sleep and, you know, big fight with my kids this morning and I'm just feeling a bit rotten today. And there's a big difference between that and someone who's been struggling for a while and really needs the time to spend to sit down and and perhaps look at what some next steps might be. Yeah, absolutely. And again, another question that we get asked when we're, we're running mental health first aid or, or some of the other workshops that we're doing is how do you know when it's a problem? So how would I know um, if the, the way that I'm feeling or the way that somebody else that I'm working close by um, the way that they're talking about how they're feeling. How do I know if this is just a normal response to everyday stresses that are going on or if it could be the early warning signs of something more? You know, that's a that's a really terrific question. I think there's probably a couple of ways to answer it. And the first one is a first aider can't necessarily tell and neither can a person who's feeling different in themselves. You know, we can say, well, I've noticed X, Y, and Z, but that doesn't necessarily, I mean, we're not, we're not teaching people how to, to counsel or, yeah. or to make a diagnosis yeah. or anything like that, are we? So, um, so the, the short answer is we can't be sure. Um, the slightly longer answer is we need to have a conversation 
yeah. find out how long things have been going on for. And and if honestly, if it's been most of the time or more days than not over a couple of weeks, I reckon that's enough to have a chat with the doctor. Yeah, the doctor might say, "Yeah, look, you know, there's there's." It's, it's probably not really a problem right now, but let's have a look at what some changes just in your day-to-day life, you know, what some benefits of that might be. For um, example, getting a little bit more exercise, trying to have a more regular sleep-wake cycle, things like that. Or, no, this, you know, this is uh, it's probably a good idea to, to talk to a counsellor or a psychologist or, yeah. or someone else. Absolutely. I find as well, because we, we met a lot of people along the way, and I, I find personally, this is, this is my opinion, that there's a different approach to mental health first aid in the workplace through the generations. So yes. you have a generation, maybe the baby boomers, that are a little bit reluctant to have these conversations or, or will ask questions around being intrusive um, or, you know, should I be asking this? It's not really my place to, I'm poking my nose in, it's none of my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then compare that to the millennials and the Gen Zs that are now coming into the workplace, um, who are so open about social responsibility and society and how we contribute to the way that people around us are feeling and, and are so much more open about talking about these things. Don't you love that? Oh, I, I honestly, and I think the future. <laughs> it's, I've got a millennial daughter and a Gen Z daughter, and I've got so much hope for the future because they're yeah. so open. You know that age group. We've got a few businesses that we support with EAP that are predominantly millennials in the business, um, and they are switched on. Um, you know, very, very aware of other people, um, you know, high emotional intelligence, and and really self-aware. It's fantastic. It's great. It's really, really good. And I haven't been discouraged to do that, you no. know, which I think that that's so that there are generations where definitely it's been, you know, you've got to be stoic. Yeah. Life is hard. And and that expectation I think has changed, which is fabulous. Yeah. You know, I particularly I something that I've noticed and, and you you may agree, people often say, Oh, you know, but boys still won't talk and young men still won't talk. And then, you know, I walk down the street and I see, you know, two guys see, b- bumping into each other and giving each other a hug. And that probably is not happening with their baby boomer dads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's just, it's just easier. It's nicer. It's things are getting better there. Yeah. Yeah, they are. So it, implementing mental health first aid officers into workplace is not just about picking a group of people and saying, right, we want you, like particularly managers, you know, we're going to pick all of our middle managers and we're going to, mm-hmm. um, I want you to come in and train our middle managers to be mental health first aid officers and then we're going to never see you again. I think sometimes workplaces do think that that might be what it's about. So yeah. Yeah. what is wrong with that in your, or what is not oh. productive with that um, and what's the better approach? Well, you know, I think the real problem with that is that if you're talking about all managers and especially if they're all at a same level or similar level, virtually everyone that they have a mental health conversation with, they are going to have a power relationship of some kind with them. So if they're concerned about perhaps their own line manager, that conversation is never going to happen because that's a really hard thing to do with someone who is above you. Mm. and 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 the vast majority of staff are going to be, um, you know, down the line from them. They might not be managing them directly, but they're going to be in a different sort of um, strata. So so there's the first reason why that's not going to work. The second reason it's not going to work is because not all managers are very good people people. Some mm-hmm. of them are good numbers people. Some of them are good project management people. Some of them are great people people. And some of them may have other reasons why they feel really uncomfortable using those skills. So a better approach to that really, I think, is to find out, you know, who thinks that they could use these skills? Who's most likely to put up their hand? I'd love everyone, and I know you are the same way, to, to at least do the training so that sometimes if you went, eh, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about Sarah, but 
she and I don't really get along that well and I don't think it would go down very well if I had that chat with her. But Mark gets along well with Sarah. So yes. I might just say, hey, would you mind just checking in with Sarah? That's a good point, actually, too. When, um, when I was with Queensland Ballet, I went to Queensland Ballet twice to train up um, two groups of, of their staff. And the arrangement that we talked about um, in terms of implementing after the training was completed was that the mental, and, and I do this with all the businesses, but Queensland Ballet were exceptionally good at this, um, that their mental health first aiders re- meet regularly and, and like once yeah. a quarter or something, but also that there's an opportunity to kind of cross refer. And I don't want to sound clinical with that, but, but you know, if you are concerned about somebody, um, and you don't have it, you know, the kind of relationship that is required to have this kind of conversation, then you know that you can go to somebody else and say, who has exactly the same skill set, exactly the same um, understanding of the conversation and maybe they're the, the person to do it. And it's all done in a confidential, um, in a confidential way with the, the person who's struggling at the heart. Yes. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And sometimes, and it's not even always about the relationship, you know. I might be really concerned about someone, but I've got really low resources myself right now and I actually really need to take a little bit of time for myself rather than, than um, you know, stretch things just that little bit further. There's lots and lots of reasons why a specific person might not be the specific right person at that yeah. time. I'm really glad that they've taken that approach. I think it's really important. And I do absolutely love when I hear about organisations that are actually maintaining those networks yeah. because I think there's there's also a bit of a, I think there's, there can be a bit of a moment of panic for some people when they go, oh, God, I'm going to have to do this right now. I'm concerned about this person. And there is this fear of, well, I can't ask, for um, some support with this because that's not going to be confidential. But it can be, can't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's really just about saying, hey, I'm concerned. It's not about No, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's always with that care at the core yeah. and not with, you know, I think maybe it's a little bit cultural, but I think that something that I often hear here in Australia is that feeling of, oh, I don't want to say anything because it'll be nosy. Yeah, that's funny. You know, when I've taken the program to European countries, they're like, "Yeah, no, not a problem here." Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not nosy. We're caring and inquisitive. <laughs> I use the word curious a lot when we're doing this. You need to ask curious questions. Yeah, ask curious curiosity questions. is just—it's yeah. a beautiful attitude to take into a conversation. Yeah, and um, you know, as well, I think you know when you when you approach in that sort of a way it's it's uh, easier to pick up on something that you might otherwise have missed. So, for example, I could say I could be having a conversation with someone who tells me that they've been grieving because of a recent loss mm. and it would be easy to say, oh, okay, well, that's just normal. Everybody grieves. But then if I continue to have the conversation and I find out it was six weeks ago and there's been no improvement, yeah, then it's no longer normal grieving process. Yeah. That's where it could be developing into depression or something else and and that it's worth actually, you know, talking about what might be a good idea to, to seek some help. Absolutely. Often people will take the first answer as the last answer. Yes. So, you know, if somebody in that situation was to say, I'm grieving and then, and then you just leave it. Um, but if we ask further questions around how, how is your grief manifesting? How does grief feel for you? Mm-hmm. How much is it impacting on you? And they're, they're curious questions with a purpose. And respectful, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, okay, so what what are some of the barriers do you think that some organisations might come up against uh, when trying to implement mental health first aid offices in their workplace? Oh gosh, it's it's really interesting. I think that we've heard we've had conversations with people from so many different sorts of workplaces, you can see that there are really distinct differences. One that I think is really common is that people have this fear that if they start talking about mental health, all of a sudden half the office is going to want to go off on stress leave and and claim psychological injury and something like that, that it's actually going to open a can of worms that no one's ever going to be able to put back together. But the reality is that's just not something that happens. Um, Most of the time... You know, people are experiencing problems 
in a range of different sort of settings and it might really be that there's you know things things aren't easy at home someone's having difficulty in their private life um you know we, we have a, a bit of a an epidemic of loneliness even in in this country yeah, yeah. you know someone who's just sort of generally pretty low having someone reach out to them at work is actually more likely to help them to sort of actually want to stay put (laughs) people aren't looking to get out of work yeah I think people want to work and it's very it is very good for your mental health as long as you're in the right sort of setting Mm. but I think that I think there's a bit of that there's a bit of a oh this doesn't affect our workplace I love that one doesn't it make you laugh Tina and and it's always like oh so do you have one of those workplaces that doesn't have human beings in it yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah Oh gosh, I um, it's <laughs> we've um, had contacts with some really sort of random organisations at times, and um, people uh, I sometimes get in touch because it's suddenly occurred to them that this is relevant. You know, talking to a, a taxi driver uh, a couple of days ago, he was asking me what I what I do, and I had a chat, and he said, "Do you know what?" I think taxi drivers could benefit from that. <laughs> and all I can think of is Betty Kitchener in the year 2000 saying, I want to get taxi drivers doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Brilliant. It is, it is so true. But I think um, there's, there's definitely, because we're talking about training that is generally 12 hours long, you know, usually done over two days but can be done over four sessions, there's a lot of, well, can I have that many people from my workplace out of role mm-hmm. for that period of time and I think that's definitely you know that's that's tough yeah and it's one of the reasons why I think it can be really helpful to sort of um encourage people to do a a course in the community Mm. they would still could still be a workplace mental health first aider but that doesn't need to be in the office necessarily but gosh um you know I'm I am really looking forward to being able to launch um, some of our new blended materials in the next sort of 12 months that will um, hopefully help with some of that as well, make it a little yeah. bit easier to have people out of role. So what about you? I mean, you talk to workplaces as well. I'd love to yeah. hear what sort of barriers you're hearing about. Yeah, time constraints always comes up. Um, more often than not, we can um, plan, you know, plan and be organised enough so that it doesn't impact as much as people imagine it's going to. And, and obviously, going yeah. into workplaces is what we do, so that that helps. You know, we're, we're actually in the workplace, although phones need to be off and people need to be kind of engaged. Yes, um, they do. We have <laughs> no, had... you are not checking your email yes. at morning. Put it down. I won't see you yeah. till lunch. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have had a few businesses that, that we've run mental health first aid for where we've done the four consecutive weeks, so um, the, the sessions each week. And one of them, brilliant company, still we, all, we keep in touch with everyone that we've worked with, um, but they were having their sessions on a Friday afternoon. Um, so that was, and, and they were a security firm. They're a security firm. And a lot of the guys that, that came, it was all a room full of guys. Oh, we had one lady. She was their admin lady. She was brill. She kept them in order. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, they, and most of them had been on night shift as well before. And they were all drinking mother. Oh. <laughs> and when we talked about anxiety. <laughs> How much caffeine's in that one? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we can get around it that way. Um, also as well, sometimes it's cost. You know, people are very interested yeah. in the cost and I completely yes. understand that. And, and so obviously we try and accommodate as best we can, depending on, on the, the businesses that we're working in and, and the environments that they're in. Um, it, it, it's very rare that people will come back to us and say, we don't think this is, uh, this is necessary like off the bat. Usually people contact us and say, we really want to do this. Um, yeah. Sometimes my heart sinks a little bit when people do contact us and say, right, we really do want to train our people in mental health first aid because, and then they talk about a crisis situation that they've yes. had. Um, and, yeah, and up then, until that point, it didn't feel relevant. And now suddenly you wish you had some of that time back. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Really um, but yeah, time constraints are, are an issue for people, but then they will still invest in other types of training in their businesses that takes their, their people away 
Um, and so, you know, we work hard for people in organisations to understand that this is as important as doing social media training or, or you know, training in, in, in accounts for one particular department or whatever. You know, continuous learning will enrich your workforce, um, yes. not, not make them less productive. Yeah, and, and I like to try to remind people as well that, you know, they might think, well, you know, I, I'm not sure that that's the problem in our workplace, but, okay, obviously everyone who has people, it's relevant for them. But also a lot of people who do mental health first aid training go home and use those skills yeah, at home. And when things are going better at home because someone starts to get the help and the support that they need, then the employees are going to be managing better during the day as well because they're not worried about, you know, what's going to be there when I get home, what's been going on, you know, what am I going to do? So it improves people's lives in all different aspects. It does. Not to mention, you know, overall just the, the capacity of the community and workplaces are always a part of the community. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is essential training. But, um, mm. yeah, the majority of the time those are the kinds of things that, um, that we talk about and, and try and, and work around with organisations. Ipswich City Council was an interesting one because they – I've trained about 40 of their staff now and um, yeah, and, and we've got more to go. And since they did, they first did mental health first training, the first mental health first training, the first group um, they've now their people and culture person has now developed an intranet page dedicated to mental health first aid. And they oh. have, yeah, she was showing me when I went back for the second group um, and they've got resources in there um, and information about who the mental health first aiders are and the contact details for them, information about the mental health first aiders. I mean, it's just exceptional work that they've been doing. Oh, that is a really, really cool idea. Yeah, they're, they're a re they really do care. I mean, I, it, I think as well, another advantage of mental health first aid in workplaces is it does give a message to people that we genuinely do care about you um, and yes. you're worth being out of your role for 12 hours to undertake this training, however that might be over two days, over four sessions or whatever, you're, you're worth it. And um, I think when people genuinely feel as if their employers care, they want to give more. Yes. They do, and there's definitely been quite a bit of work done by um, Superfriend. I yes. don't know if you know that. Oh gosh, I just love their materials yeah. so much. Got to have a look at that. So there, there are indicators of a thriving workplace study. Um, the one from last year. They asked people about all sorts of things, like did uh, having a good mental health policy in the workplace. Did they think that that would help? Um, people to stay in their jobs, to seek a job with a specific company, a whole lot of things. And it, it is really clear. It matters to people. It the does. numbers, I was, I actually, I mean, I always expect that it's going to be higher than, than people might guess, but I looked at those numbers and thought, Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. That, this is huge. This is people saying that the, the number of people who said that they had left a workplace because of, um, because it didn't feel like a mentally healthy, safe workplace, that things were toxic, that people wouldn't listen, um, that, you know, there was no good mental health policy that was, you know, it might have existed, but it wasn't being enacted. Yeah. A whole lot of those things. They're just, the numbers in there are, are really astonishing. Agreed. And particularly the, the, the gap between the number of people who said that number of, um, I guess, uh, people in the upper echelons of management saying, yes, we have these programs and they're out there and employees saying, we don't have any of those those programs. So are they there and people don't know about them? Is it not sort of talked about? Exactly. Is it there because it's a tick box that we can say, no, 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 we've got something. Look, there's a tick in a box right there. Yeah. Which is obviously very different to actually, you know, putting their, their money where their mouth is. True. See, I, again, with, with all of the businesses that I've worked with, we talk about mental health policy at the end, at the end of the training, whoever yeah. it is that's kind of got, I mean, and it's usually a group discussion with those people that have just been trained as mental health first aiders. Um, and there's a couple of, of times with businesses they've asked for input with, where they, cause they, they say, um, oh yeah, I think we've got a mental health policy. And then they're checking, they say, well, no, we don't. We've got an anti-discrimination policy. I say, well, it'll link, but it's not really the same when, you, you, you know, it might be worth thinking about actually dedicating your a, a policy to mm. mental health and, and how to manage it and how you value it and et cetera. And so for some of the businesses, um, 
the input that we've had has been around things like to include in the policy um, the organization's um, process on managing a staff member who might be having a panic attack or supporting a staff member who may be suicidal so that there's an overarching policy that even if you've got an employee that hasn't done mental health first aid training but is a maybe a manager of somebody this happens and then they it, it's in the policy so and one business will for example there was one business that said we all panic attacks will be treated um will be managed by triple zero you know, we're not taking the risk and that's fine. But it's so everybody's consistent with their approach in the business. And obviously there's follow on that needs to happen with those. Just mm. to don't just have an employee taken away to hospital and come back again. It would be then a process of engaging that person with a relevant mental health first aider to offer support to encourage them to professional help. Um, then we had another business who uh, part of their policy when it came to panic attacks, for example, um, if it was a panic attack, if it was ongoing and, and frequent, um, then their policy wasn't to call triple zero. If they had um, somebody who was having a panic attack, it would be to engage the mental health first aider to, to be with the person and support the person afterwards. So men, uh, policies aren't just about pieces of paper. They're about... No. Uh, process and guidance and implementation and then from that the conversation that we have with businesses from that it's not just about filing that away with your other policies it's about launching your mental health policy as part of your awareness campaign as part of launching your mental health first aiders in the workplace to ensure that every single employee has an opportunity to view the policy, ask questions about the policy, maybe even consult on the content of the policy then <laughs> Bingo. Consult with the people who are affected by it. Bingo. That's a great idea. I yeah, know. Yeah. And the businesses, they really, they really do embrace that because I think people kind of see mental health as so far removed from the workings of a business that, that they kind of freeze like a rabbit in the headlights. And, and yet if we would be encouraging people to just be transparent about the fact that this is about all of us, it's not just about them people over there, um, open transparency and a consistent approach based on care, you know, it's only going to make your workplace better. It is. It is. And then you're going to keep your best people and you're going to draw in more great people. Yeah. and yeah. And they're going to have better home lives too. Absolutely. And then <laughs> and if you look at your workforce, you, back to generations again with your millennials yeah. and your Gen Zs, they do not want to work in workplaces that don't have a social conscience. They want to know what the, how they are going to contribute to the greater good and how they are going to be supported to contribute to the greater good. Uh, millennials and Gen Zs will just walk. Yes, yes. And I, I, I find that, I remember the first time I sort of he started hearing about that trend. It scared me so much because I'm very well. Look, I'm Gen X. I'm smack in the middle. I'm all yeah. about <laughs> what what little bit of uh, stability and and security can I hold on to? Now I've got this. I'm never letting it go. <laughs> and and I think that and I thought, wow, that's incredibly brave that people have met, taken those steps. And then I thought, you know what? It's just right. Yeah, it's just it they those generations are the future <laughs> and and they're the ones making big decisions that are like no sorry I will never put profits over people Absolutely. I will, I'm not going to do anything that is going to make me more miserable I'm not yes. going to contribute to those environmental problems I think it's fab yeah well the average tenure for a millennial is two and a half years that's the average tenure in Australia for a millennial. If I was employing people in my business, I want to smash that out of the park. I want to make sure that my people don't walk after two and a half years. You know, and I'm not saying know that everybody do it. Well, I'm not saying that everybody walks after two and a half years because no. it's a toxic workplace, but it's a fickle thing now. You know, people are not expecting to be in a job for life. They're changing careers up to seven times in, in their lifetime. Yes. So we have to make workplaces supportive, enticing, rewarding, uh, and it's far more than just a gym membership um, and a pay packet. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And giving people the opportunity to stretch as well, you know, do something yeah. that's outside of their training, outside of their their job description that stops people from getting bored. 
exactly <laughs> yeah, or feeling really... undervalued you know when, yeah. when work becomes tedious and mediocre we start to feel undervalued yeah yeah absolutely it's a very strong way of demonstrating that you are on un- <laughs> you, you feel like that so yeah <laughs> but um but i think you know we've, there's so much that we could do to you know keep the people that we really want and definitely mental health is you know it's a huge part of that but i think as well you know i mean mental health first aid obviously is the pointy end it's that okay there's a problem here and we need to address that but what i also love seeing is that when organizations are saying all right we need a proper mental health policy that is you know not just how do we respond when x mm-hmm. but it's actually how can we improve Prevent things at it. all points yeah and i just love i've got more you know over time i've got more friends and also you know friends who are sort of working in more management positions who are saying well what can we do that's positive what can we do to support our employees to volunteer so yeah. you know people actually get paid time off in replacement for usually weekend <laughs> volunteer hours so they're feeling more connected to the community yeah. um they they're able to say hey i work for company x and you know they i took yesterday off work and i got paid for it so that yeah. i could come and support this and I mean, you can't buy that sort of advertising oh, as well. So yeah. you, it's and it's a, it's across all of it. Yeah. You know, just, and I think that's a recognition that it's across all of it that you know there has really been amazing to see. Yeah. But you know that actually, I've got a question for you, Tina, and I reckon I know what the answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask anyway. Do you find that you get the best? Um, I guess sort of leg into an organisation when there's a champion. Oh God, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And, 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 and it's just that sometimes it's just one person, um, giving the same message, you know, it just, just gently getting, giving the same message to many people that then finally it gets taken up. Usually it's somebody with a personal experience of mental illness yes. or a member of, or somebody who has a member of their family that's experienced mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. So they've been a carer or they've been yeah. there. And they just, I, I just, I, I feel like when it comes from the top, oh, God, we've got a tick box that we've got a tick here, then it often can end up being that little bit tokenistic. Mm. But it's when it starts from somewhere that's, you know, where somebody has a passion, a real yeah. care, Yeah, that's where we start to see actual real changes and not just having attended the training but actually seeing how, you know, mental health first aid becomes part of, an overall big time policy and all the other things that people can do. And there, and, and with that, there, there can only ever be a positive shift in culture. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think that it, it's funny that if you think about the nature of work over time, you know, it's not that long ago really that people did actually expect to have a job for their entire life. And then when that changed, it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to have a job for my entire life. I've got to be ready for the fact that, you know, I've got no job security. And now a lot of, you know, some of those changes are by choice. Mm -hmm. And we actually want it to be a choice and not just say, yep, this place is no longer giving me what I need and I'm out. Instead, how can we continue to give people what they need as that changes? Yeah. That can only be good for businesses. Oh, no you know, doubt. It's actually it. people are staying or leaving because they want to and because it's right for them, not because, yep, this place is now horrible. Yeah. And, and sometimes I have conversations with people in organisations that will, that will say, well, you know, it's really difficult to know, um, you know, how best to um, improve our culture um, or, you know, where the difficulties might lie for our employees. And I always go back to the same thing. Well, have you asked them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Don't have to have all the answers. In fact, the best thing we can do is have all the questions. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that it's really important if people are interested in doing something like that, that they find a way to make responses anonymous. Oh, gosh, yeah. People need to feel safe. Mm-hmm. But often you don't even realise where the problems are until you start asking those questions, you know, that that there are areas in the organisation where morale is really poor or that there are people who feel that their area is devalued and that no one really knows what they contribute and there's I don't you know I think most things are not that hard to solve with oh. actually by actually saying okay 
clearly there are people here who are invested in this particular problem and I would love to hear you guys. What would you like to do about it? Would you like to be the ones to do about it? Would you like us to lead it from the top? Mm-hmm. Ask. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember one conversation, this is a while ago, where somebody told me we've got, we seem to be employing the wrong kind of people. Um, you know, we let these people know that it's a fast pace, and I'm being really cautious with the words because I don't want to yeah, yeah. give anything away. It's a fast-paced environment and there's targets to hit. Um, and it doesn't matter how we change up the recruitment process and the interview questions, we still find that within a couple of weeks, these young people are um, going off on sick leave, um, crying all the time and, and not coping. We, we, we're not attracting resilient people. <laughs> And honestly, yeah. how, you know, there's, a, and I think to myself, and I look around and think, is cameras or something? Someone's going to jump out and go, only kidding. <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. blows my mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, that's, and that's very true. There's, people can, you know, there's something sitting right in front of you and all you can see is everything that might be on the other side of it or around it or, you know, some of it. It needs to be about changing the way that we work. What is it? I mean, who's yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. What is it that you're this. The message in here is that yeah, mm. that the, it's the the expectations too great. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Or start recruiting like robots. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. Just bizarre. Really bizarre. Yeah, it's it's so important. I wonder how many of those people had been asked. I mean, honestly, I think that the exit interview is an incredibly important tool, and that it tends to only get used really regularly by organisations that are actually already doing a pretty good job. Yeah. Yeah. That's and right. They, there's often, you know, it's like, okay, well, we know why people are quitting. So we're not going to ask them because then we'll have to address it and that's, that's it. going to, you know. But how could it possibly be good for the bottom line to have to keep recruiting because you're losing people in that way? Exactly. And and yet the the, the viewpoint from this particular organisation really, it, was, it wasn't just one person, is there's something wrong with millennials? <laughs> <laughs> how right. bizarre is yeah. that? I came away shaking my head. And I can't, how you know? How do I remain professional with that? <laughs> oh my gosh! I could just imagine, you know, some of the people who think that way. If you could imagine them having just come out of, you know, whatever length of training and education they've got, yeah. and being expected to work under those sorts of yeah. circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, Potentially not even only do one job because there's not always a living wage anymore. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't have put up with it. <laughs> exactly. And yet on the flip side, I remember um, having a conversation more recently with somebody and it, it's actually somebody in the construction industry um, who was talking about um, an admin staff member. They have a 17-year-old um, young lady working with them in their office and she was w- disclosed um, when she got the job that she'd experienced pro- problems with anxiety um, and she had some physical issues too and they were they were lovely and supportive and etc. And then, um, you know, there came, became some times when she was taking time off sick and uh, or coming into work and then leaving. And so this particular manager, um, who was actually a man in, in his 50s, um, invited her into the office and said, how about we make it that I'm your go-to person? Mm. All I ask yeah. you to do, all I ask you to do is show up. Just uh, even if it's a hard day, just show up. That's all I ask you to do. And then we'll take it from there. So if you have any, you don't have to have any contact with HR or your manager or anybody else. The only person that you need to talk to about this is me. I'm not going to talk to anybody else about it and we're going to figure it out together. And she is coming to work every day and she is doing the best that she can. And there's days when she's super productive and days when she's less productive, but she's honest and upfront about it. Whereas there's days in the office with other people where they'll be super productive, days when they'll be unproductive and that's not talked about um and this is this young lady's first experience of the workplace how fabulous is that 
That is such a great start. And, you know, that makes me think of, I've heard of a few of um, the, a few other mental health organisations uh, around Australia, and I'm not going to say which ones they are because I'll get it wrong probably, and then I'll, um, but that have actually instituted um, a buddy system. Yeah, where they, they it's a, it's similar to that in that you know, there is you you're connected with someone who is your go to who mm. knows what needs to happen if X happens. So, for example, it might be um, someone who has panic attacks regularly. Um, yes, if that happens. This is my person. Yeah. Please get them, <laughs> and they will do the right things. But what I really like is there's actually no they. You could be paired with anybody, yeah. different departments. You know, it could be somebody who's you know above you, or or um you know, or in a completely different area. And there's no, it has nothing to do with HR or any yes. of those more yeah. sort of employee employer relationships. And that just strikes me as being quite silly, you know, just look, this is just between you and me. Exactly. And it works, seems to work really, really well. I think it's great. Oh, it's, I mean, excellent, particularly for someone so young, you know, that, that, that could be, that could have been the changing point for this young person as she, as yep. to, do I continue to work or try and work through whilst I'm struggling with getting things right with, cause she's engaging with services while I'm trying to get things right with my ill health. Um, you know, do I not work at all because it's too hard or do I continue to work and get the benefits of working, um, and being supported and this affects, it's going to affect her work in life forever. It is. It is. And and everyone who ever works for her as well is exactly. going to know. Oh, gosh. That's, I know. I think that's fantastic. It, oh, I love gosh. That too. I, I kind of want to shake that man's hand. Yeah. <laughs> you more of these things. Isn't, isn't it amazing, though, when people just decide to do the right thing, the yeah. good thing that is actually going to genuinely work. I yeah. oh, just love that so much. Awesome, hey? Yeah. Right, nice. my next question. Sometimes we have, um, well, not even sometimes, all times with our organisations, they say, how do we monitor um, how we've implemented mental health first aid? How do, how do we keep a track Often workplaces uh, or organisations will say, is there any way that we can monitor how well the implementation of mental health first aid officers is going in our workplace because we worry about breaking confidentiality. It's not as if we can go to people and say, you know, how many times have you engaged with a mental health first aid officer? Um, What kind of recommendations would you make around that? You know, I, I agree. I think this is a really tough one and we get asked questions about this so often. And certainly in our implementation guide for skilled workplaces, there is there are some ideas, but it's more about, you know, how are you going to have the conversation about the right thing to do? Rather than asking people, have you engaged with a mental health first aider? Mm-hmm. Because here's a fun thing as well. They might not even realise. Yeah, you know, if, if I break my ankle and someone wraps it up for me and calls an ambulance, I know that I've had first aid. But if somebody has been kind and supportive and asked me some questions and supported me to maybe go and talk to my GP, I may not have any thought of that being, oh, that's mental health first aid. Absolutely. So I, I think that I, I, there's quite a few sort of organisations that are asking their mental health first aiders to record how frequently they're having a conversation but with absolutely no other information. Yeah. So it's literally I had two conversations this week. I had four conversations this month. Um, the, the, we've spoken to people who have tried to make it just a little bit more complex. Oh, you know, was this about workplace? Was this about home relationships? But so much of the time... It's, it's multiple things and yeah. exactly and you don't and even you know you don't need to know which first aider it is because especially if they are in a workplace where there are different departments where it's more likely to be one person than another you know almost like just a tally system mm. but then I think you know and this is something that more organizations are doing now and something that we would actually like to do at a much more uh, you know, at a sort of a, uh, I guess, a case study research type approach is we would like to know, you know, when organisations say, well, we've got less presenteeism and less absenteeism and we've got improved culture, we do want to look at ways that we can actually measure that Mm. um, because it's not always that simple. Mm. I mean, even people say, oh, should we look at EAP use? And I say, well, should you? Because... On the one hand, where there's an EAP and people need to use it, you want them to be using it. Yeah. But 
at the same time, if things are improving and there's less need for it, it's going to go down. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> what are you actually looking for, more use or less use? You know? Yeah, yeah it's true. A, it's a really sort of a tough one. But I think that as a start, really just literally a tally mark system. If there's a way, you know, gosh, you get a, a Google form or something like that where people just literally say, you know, how many times this week they've used their mental health first aid skills. I think that is probably about as much as we can do safely right now. Although in the long term as well, um, we're looking at how the pool of mental health first aid officers may be able to feed into a central database that we can actually sort of say, hey, this is how often these skills are being used, you know, we without providing any additional information. Yeah. That's, um, there's, there's, there's lots of different ways. I do agree. I think it's really very concerning if names and information about what's being discussed, that sort of thing, is being taken down. Oh, yeah, no, that shouldn't. No, it shouldn't yeah. happen. And I realise that it's it's really an important part of that first aid process and people say, well, how can we compare them if we can't do it the same way? But it, it's not. That's where the the, the, yeah, <laughs> the comparison yeah. sorts of sorts of sort of fall apart because no one's ever going to not employ me because I once broke my ankle. Yeah, that's right. But that I'd been depressed or suicidal in the workplace, yeah. that could certainly keep me out of a job. Yeah, yeah. So not legally, but there's always going to no, be another that's reason. Right. That's right. <laughs> um, one of the things I talked to Ipswich City Council about when looking at monitoring um, the implementation of their mental health first aiders is to track clicks of help seeking behavior through their IT data. So, for example, their intranet, chat, uh, track the usage of um, people who are accessing the information via their mental health first aid intranet site. Mm-hmm. Because the purpose, obviously, of mental health first aid is to promote help-seeking behaviours and that people can engage with the right kind of care. And sometimes people do that off the back of conversations um, yeah. and other times, you know, as a result of conversations and it's overt. Um, so it is possible um, confidentially, you can't see who 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 does, who's clicking on what. Um, but if there is an increase in activity on clicks on their internet page or even external to places like Beyond Blue, um, Black Dog Institute, then it, it could be an indicator that um, the work of the mental health first aiders is starting to permeate through the organisation and the promotion of encouraging help-seeking behaviour. Absolutely. I, I would hope that no one felt disappointed if they didn't see that increase though because yeah. lots of people are going to use their phones and lots of people are going to yeah, do it at true. home. Lots of people may even be a little bit awed and we want to click this at work. Can anyone tell who clicked? Yeah, right. you know, that yeah that's thing. a fair so, point. So it's yeah. going to be conservative but I yeah. still think it's yeah. you know, it's interesting. And i to say, if you're seeing improvements in culture and people's willingness as well, yeah. then they're actually more likely probably to, to click when they're in the office. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so um, my last, the last part that I wanted to just talk to you about is successes. So we've talked to, uh, about a few um, successes in terms of the people that we've worked with, but do you, can you share with us any um, successes that you're aware of from your work with other mental health first aid instructors that are working with businesses um, who have implemented mental health first aid? Actually, mostly I can't. I'm sorry. We've, we've often, we've had some conversations over, over the last while with people about, can we share some of what you have said and sort of attach, you know, your company name to it? And, there's a lot of we'd like to but we need to have some control over that process so it's going to take a little bit of negotiation about how we do things but certainly um downer which is is one organization we we actually use them as a case yes yes and and construction as well they actually have a few different areas um they've been really open about sharing with us some of those experiences that they've had and um improvements in culture and uh staff turnover and and a range of different things and and that we've actually been able to use parts of their story as uh on a little brochure that we give out to people who would like to know more about what can happen in workplaces and and that's a that's a really sort of a terrific one there's not so much um data around Mm -hmm. it 
Mm. It's more the the sorts of stories that they it's shared. Anecdotal, best uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's great. It's really really nice. I, I mean, God, you know me, Tina. I want some hard data as well. But um, <laughs> what I am hoping is that over the we, we're sort of doing some planning around how can we, I guess, observe changes in large organisations over time and also in communities as well. I mean, yeah. I think when I think about a a local government area or a shire council or something like that, what's happening in the schools, what's happening in the workplaces, what's happening in the community groups. Now, what can we actually see across a, a community if we ha- take a really sort of, uh, I guess, targeted mm. approach to, to um, measuring it all? And then hopefully I'll be able to give you some of the amazing names of organisations that we've worked with. Uh, but at the moment, all I can say is that Overall, we get really, really positive feedback about how things have been experienced, and and um, we have we respond to the things that aren't working so well as well. I guess, for example, the one of the things that I, perhaps you offer at Tina, we we offer a, a, a ninety minute session, which is um, which we call engaging leaders, mm-hmm. which helps. It can be it can either be used by an instructor who wants to show an organisation a company what mental health first aid could do for their company, but it's also something to take to managers and, and other people who sort of need to know a bit but don't have time to do the training and certainly might not be the right people to have mental health first aid conversations. Yes. But yeah. so that they understand the responsibilities and the limitations. Yeah, absolutely. Those so they're very the well informed from the outset and then you've got buy-in and that's what you want. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. that they're not saying, oh, I'm worried about that person, so I'm going to send them to this first aider for counselling, which, of course, they can't do. Yeah. But they can say, oh, I'm concerned about this person. I don't want to address it because, you know, I'm their boss and they're not going to want to talk to me and it's going to be tough so I can get a first aider to have a conversation with them. No, yeah. it's none of my business what gets said there, yeah. but at least I know that someone has taken that step and, yeah. and to see what goes from there. And um, yeah, and and that came from the some of the earlier sort of workplaces that we were quite sort of strongly involved in, and and that's just going to keep growing from strength yeah. to strength. Even the implementation guide, when if people want to have a look at that um, from the mental health first aid website, you'll see that. Uh, the way that we recognise a skilled workplace is partially by the percentage of people who in the workplace who have been trained. Um, and we look at, you know, how many workplace, how many people actually work there as well because, yes, we have sole traders who have gold status because <laughs> 100% of their one person is trained. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, the, the things that they have found make a more successful mental health policy approach mm-hmm. and um, including the role of mental health first aid we've actually turned those into here are things that you should maybe give a try to and we recognize people actually implementing those steps as well and that all comes from the experiences of the, the mostly the larger organizations that we work with yeah yeah isn't it excellent Honestly, it's just fantastic. It you know, that when you see Can this, you imagine twenty years ago yeah. that anyone would be talking like this. No, not around workplace. I mean, it was just no. certainly not. It was always, I and mean, it's just brushed under the carpet and never spoken about. Just leave it at home. Yeah, and well, there are obviously some workplaces that still have that approach, but yeah. um, you know, the, just this. I mean, this last year has been our our busiest year for mental health first aid for the corporates and. Um, it's been fabulous. It's, it's, but you know, I, I've always been a glass half full kind of a person with a, you know, an optimistic view of people and the world. And it just reinforces that, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I walk away thinking I've done a really good thing here, um, you know, to impart these skills on these lovely people who are, are going to go and care for each other. It's just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And don't you love as well when people get to the end of the training and you know that they're there for work, but then they're saying, as I go through this, I just, I just want to call my brother tonight. Yeah. I just want to call my brother and talk to him, or whatever, whoever it is that whose face has been coming up in their head, and they yeah. and they just realise it's it's everywhere. Um, it, it, <laughs> it's absolutely, just, and it just yeah, yeah it's just. Um, it going another step towards dropping the stigma and discrimination that goes on out there that we're far better now than we've ever been but yeah it's mm-hmm. it just goes a, a another step further to eliminating that too 
It does. It really does. And, you know, and months like Mental Health Month, Mental Health yes. Week and uh, all of those, I think, you know, just every opportunity that we have to talk about these things yeah. makes it that little bit easier. Yeah. And to spread the message. So we're doing the uh, Walk for Awareness on Sunday um, in Brisbane, the biggest Walk for Awareness in Australia. Um, oh, I wish I could come up for oh, that. It's fabulous. <laughs> we absolutely love it. And we always podcast with Wesley from the Mental Awareness Foundation every year so he can promote it and, and um, he's, he's wonderful. So we'll be there on Sunday. And then I think it's Tuesday, we're volunteering, all of us here from CDC, we're volunteering at a mental health expo, our local community centre. So we're going to be setting up and packing up and having a bit of a chat about mental health first aid, but also um, with a bit more emphasis around positive mental wellbeing. Uh, you know, we're using the wellbeing wheel, which is the, the focus for Queensland Mental Health Week. Um, and then we have a public course next week as well out of our little cottage here for um, you know anyone that wants to come along, and we're booked out for that. So we're, we're sort of, <laughs> so we've got a busy mental health week. Yes, and a public yes, holiday as well on Monday fun. for us. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That sounds like a that sounds like a very very good way to spend the week. Yeah, brilliant, That's fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us, Claire. It is always a pleasure. And oh, um, always, always, I have so much fun. Well, you were saying before we started, or oh, you'll be having a natter. Yeah, that's it. It just feels so comfortable. Thank you so much, Claire. You're very welcome. If you enjoyed this podcast and you would like us to appear in your feed, please hit the subscribe button and you're also welcome to leave us a review. For more information, visit careerdevelopmentcentre.com.au.